This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Bills Mafia. We know there's only one topic every day. All Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bovey and Sal Capaccio are going really deep. Talking Bills all year long. Because it's always game day in Buffalo. Never a doubt. What is going on, everybody? Matt Bovey here with another episode of It's Always Game Day in Buffalo doing a quick emergency post-game podcast after the Bills 24-22 win against the Los Angeles Chargers. This one came down to the wire. Tyler Bass makes a late field goal, gives the Bills a lead. The Chargers get the ball back with like 23 seconds left or something like that. Ed Oliver with a massive sack, his second of the game. Then chaos ensues. The Chargers have one last play. They can't get down the field, and the Bills get a win. Was it pretty? Absolutely not. Did they make way too many mistakes? Absolutely they did. Does any of that matter moving forward? No, it does not. Hindsight is a heck of a thing. If this team won this game 40 to nothing, sure, you would feel a lot better about them, but they still won. I really like what my colleague Dom Tibbetts said. We were on the news at 11 o'clock, and he was like, Matt, ugly wins are a heck of a lot better than pretty losses. And I totally agree, and I like that idea. Dan Fates from Buffalo Plus, he said this tweet, and I thought this was also really spot on. For the Bills at this point, it's the NCAA tournament survive in advance and they survived a really close game but it doesn't matter anymore because I think it's very clear there are multiple versions of this team there's the really good bills which we've seen the last couple weeks and then there's the bills that get in their own way and play down to their opponents that's what we saw against the chargers the good news for them is there's no correlation between what happens in one week off to the next week you would have never thought they would have this kind of performance after you watch them dominate the Cowboys, but they did. So that means who knows what they could do against the Patriots. Sure, they could have another sloppy game, but this one was pretty sloppy. It'd be hard to top that. And then against the Dolphins at the end of the season, if that means something, if you truly believe the Bills play up to their opponents, which I think they do, well, then they should have a good outing against that team. I think for me, now when you're listening to this, I realize there's a lot of different moving parts in the AFC playoff picture. I am recording this podcast at 12.22 Eastern time after the game. 
The New York Times just updated their playoff predictor, and the Bills have about an 80% chance at making the playoffs as of right now. Now, that can be improved if they get help around the league tomorrow. That can obviously drop if the teams that they're also competing with end up winning. But that's the most important thing about what happened on Saturday. It was a festivist miracle, if you want to call it that. The Bengals lost which basically meant the Bills then controlled their own destiny. And even though it was ugly, they still got a win. And now they are two wins away from going to the playoffs. And they are still potentially in the hunt for the AFC East, depending on what happens the next few weeks with the Cowboys against the Dolphins and then the Dolphins against the Raiders. So their playoff chances have exponentially increased. And I think this is also interesting. If you look right now, once again, early on Christmas Eve, if the Bills beat the Patriots, their chance only jumps up to 83%. Considering it's at 80% right now, that's not that as significant. What's significant is their chance of making the playoffs with a loss against the Dolphins is now at 66%. So potentially that gives you a little bit of wiggle room if you do end up slipping up. You got to beat the Patriots. If you lose to the Patriots, they have like a 40% chance of making the playoffs. I think at that point, it would probably just be for the division. It would not be for a wild card spot. And that would require Miami losing their next two games. And by the time you listen to this, maybe they'll have already beaten the Cowboys. Maybe they've lost to the Cowboys. We don't know what's going to happen. Beat the Patriots. And then you know week 18 is going to matter for something, whether it's the division, whether it's just a playoff spot, the best scenario for the Bills, and I don't even know how this would have to happen, they would need tons of help, would be that if they could go into week 18 and know that they're in the playoffs, but I don't even know if that's feasible. I don't even know if that's possible. So we're going to have to see how everything plays out for the rest of this weekend and then obviously next weekend as well. All right, let's specifically talk about the game. We can go offense or defense first. I think we're going to go offense here just because it makes more sense. Josh Allen finishes the game 15 of 21, 237 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He adds two rushing touchdowns for 15 yards at the end of the game. Josh Allen did not have, by his standards, an unbelievable game. But at the end of the game, on the final drive, he was outstanding. And when they needed him to make a play, he did. The play to Khalil Shakir... I know that it was initially ruled a touchdown. Just because that was wiped off the board should not take away from how spectacular of a play that was. All-out pressure. He's rolling to his right. He's falling off of the back foot, and he still has the arm strength to get it to Shakir for the first down. And honestly, the way it ended up playing out, it might have been better that he was down as opposed to getting up and getting into the end zone. For some reason, I like the idea of a two-point lead with 23 seconds left more than I like the idea of a five- or seven-point lead left with two and a half minutes left on the clock. So hindsight, whatever. I don't know which one is better. They got the win. That's all that matters. So Josh Allen, I'd say if I was giving him a grade, I'd say he got a B. There were things that he did well. There were some sloppy plays in the first half. There were some missed throws that he usually makes. It felt like they were very disjointed in the first quarter. And the second quarter, he rolls out and makes the beautiful throw to Gabe Davis and an even better catch from him. And then, of course, he moves them down the field later in the first half. They take the lead going into halftime. Then they get another early touchdown in the third quarter, and then after that, they were kind of just sitting on their hands until that final field goal. So I'd say Josh Allen was good, not great. Gabe Davis 
was great. 130 yards, a touchdown, and it's not he only had four catches. It's not the fact that he had four catches. It's the fact of the catches that he made. There was one early in the game that kind of felt like a confidence booster for him, realizing that he would be involved in the offense. The deep touchdown was an exceptional play. It was a tough catch to make. It was a little out in front of him. If that ball hits his hands and falls to the ground, you probably don't count that as a drop. You probably say, well, that was a really tough one. Bills fans like to criticize Gabe Davis, so they would have said it was a drop. But I do think that it was a tough catch to make. Not only does he make the catch, he then runs and drags a guy basically 15 yards into the end zone and gets them on the board for their first points of the day. It felt like that kind of woke them up. And then later in the game, when they marched down the field for, I believe, their third touchdown, he made a beautiful catch on the sideline, a toe-tapping catch, a perfect throw from Josh Allen. So this was a really big Gabe Davis game. After that, not a ton of production from really anywhere else. Khalil Shakir deserves a lot of credit for two plays, and they both came on the last drive. On a third down, on a slant, the ball's behind him. He makes the adjustment. He bobbles it, but he still brings it in, makes the big gain. That was a big-time play. Maybe that wasn't the last drive. It might have been the second last drive. I'm sorry. I don't have the playlist right in front of me, but I'll get it up. And then, obviously, the one that he had at the end of the game that kind of sealed it for the Bills. Let's see. I'm looking at that last drive right now. This drive starts with, let's see... Cameron Dicker kicks it. James Cook up the middle, five yards. Eckler, shotgun, Dicker, pass. I'm sorry, this is really bad podcasting. Okay, so Stefan Diggs had an unbelievable play on that one. So no, it was not on the drive. It was the drive before that. I apologize for me working through this while you're listening to this. But either way, Khalil Shakir in the fourth quarter made two big plays. He had the one where it bobbled, but he still made the catch. And then obviously finding the space, finding Allen, making that separation. Really, really impressive play. Another kind of ho-hum day, not even a ho-hum day. By his standards, a bad day for Stefan Diggs. Makes you wonder if there's something up there. I wonder if he's got a net. Everybody at this point in the season has a nagging injury, but it has been a while since he has taken over a game. In this game, Stefan Diggs had five catches for 29 yards. Now, that's the glass half empty viewpoint. The glass half full viewpoint is he made a huge play on the last drive to give the Bills a first down on the sideline, a really nice throw and a really nice catch. So that was a good sign, but it was weird to see the Bills in big moments and check on the broadcast and see Stefan Diggs on the sideline or see him not even wearing his helmet. It just does not feel like he is their only option. He's still their best option and their top option, but that has dwindled the last couple weeks. Same thing. I mean, not that anybody's comparing him to Stefan Diggs. Dalton Kincaid finishes the day with one catch. Dawson Knox had two. I mean, there's only five players in this game who had a catch. No catches from running backs in this game. Think about how weird that is after what we watched last week with James Cook. And then speaking of, I mean, the reigning AFC Offensive Player of the Week with a pretty forgettable game. He had 70 rushing yards. That's good. But he had 20 attempts, so he only averaged three and a half yards a carry. And then he had that crucial fumble in the fourth quarter. And he had another one that his knee was down, but man, it looked like that ball was starting to move right away as the knee was down. So... 
I'm not overly concerned with James Cook, but I think that after his explosive game last week and another strong game against the Chiefs, he's not catching anybody by off guard. You know, like people are expecting James Cook to be heavily involved and they are not going to sleep on him. I think before he flew a little bit under the radar because the Bills' bread and butter has always been their passing game and Josh Allen, but I think the Chargers showed today that they were making a concerted effort to make sure that James Cook did not take over the game. So yeah, offensively, I thought Josh Allen was good, not great. I thought the offensive line was okay. There were some stupid penalties that they made, especially on that one drive when you had the tripping penalty on Spencer Brown, then you had a holding penalty on Mitch Morris that wiped out You know, a Houdini play from Josh Allen rolling to the side, and I believe finding Gabe Davis, that play was wiped out. So just some kind of simple mistakes that they need to clean up. They finished the game with seven penalties for 64 yards, it felt like the penalties they took were more impactful than the 64 yards that they lost in penalties. And then there were times when the Chargers pass rush was giving them problems. I don't know. I think Allen was only sacked once in this game. Yeah, there was a half sack from Kendricks um, in the third or fourth quarter. But yeah, they only gave up one sack, but I don't think it was an unnecessarily an outstanding game from the offense especially the offensive line, especially the guys not named Josh Allen and Gabe Davis. They're the ones who should probably get the most of the praise here. Defensively, the Chargers scored 22 points, but that number is deceiving because they only scored one touchdown. I think this was the definition of a bend but do not break game for the Bills, and I actually think they did a lot of nice things. There were some things that you would want to clean up, like Easton Stick was 23 of 33 for 215 yards. Against that guy, you would like to see a turnover or two, but that did not happen. I think what the Bills did well is on third down, they got off the field. The Chargers were 4 of 14 on third downs, and a lot of those were after they marched down the field and then had to settle for field goals. So I think that's a really good sign. I mean, Dicker had what? One, two, three, four. He had five field goals in this game. 15 points from their kicker. And a bunch of the points that they scored were off of turnovers. The Easton Stick touchdown comes after a Deontay Hardy fumble on a punt. A Cameron Dicker field goal comes after a Josh Allen interception. Another Dicker field goal comes after a James Cook fumble. All of those possessions gave the Chargers outstanding field position. So when you look at what they did, 13 of the 22 points that they gave up were a result of bad plays and mistakes from the offense. So I think the defense overall actually did a pretty good job. Sure, things would have probably looked different if Keenan Allen played in this game. They would have certainly looked different if um, Justin Herbert played in this game, but they didn't let Austin Eckler take over. I mean, he had 15 carries for 65 yards. That's 4.3 a carry. That's not exceptional. It's good, but it's not great. He had three catches for 21 yards. I think if you would have seen that stat line prior to the game, you would have signed up for 86 total yards for Austin Eckler as their top weapon. Easton Stick made some nice throws. I give him credit. Like There were some windows that he fit balls into that were really, really impressive. There were some throws that he made made touch throws, especially a couple of them early in the game, where you're like, okay, wow, this guy can play. He also was playing with nothing to lose. So I think defensively, the guys I think of, Ed Oliver, 
outstanding. It cannot be overstated how good Ed Oliver has been for this team this season. He had a, uh, two sacks today. He had the sack at the end of the game that sealed the win. I saw a video from Thad Brown of WROC in the locker room that a $500,000 bonus kicked in because of his sacks from this game. So good for him. Leonard Floyd gets the million-dollar bonus last week. Ed Oliver gets the $500,000 bonus this week. I thought Terrell Bernard had another nice game. He left briefly with the injury, but he had a sack, and he finished with seven combined tackles. I thought... Greg Rousseau looked good. I thought Russell Douglas had another nice game, which is not a surprise. I've continued to be impressed with Dodson and with Cam Lewis. How about Puna Ford, guys? Puna Ford has barely played this season, gets a sack in the game. I think he's only played in like five games this year. The Bills finished the day with one, two, three, four. They had five sacks in this game. That's good. Like, listen, I know it was not constant pressure, and I know in the first half of the game it felt like Stick had a lot longer to throw than you would have liked, but I think they kind of worked through some things, and they eventually started to figure out ways to get to him. Defensively, really, my only areas of concern, Von Miller is hurting them, and they need to figure out what is going on because when he is on the field, they take a step back. They are not getting pressure or production from his side of the field, and it feels like they would be better suited with, obviously, Leonard Floyd and Greg Rousseau. But they like a rotation. They want their guys to be healthy. They want their guys to have energy when they get on the field. So that's why he's still part of this rotation, and then not having A.J. Epinesa certainly hurts them. And Shaq lost, and there is a drop-off between those top three guys, who I would say right now are Floyd, Rousseau, and Epinesa. And then no Jordan Phillips hurts them also, especially in pass rush situations. But Von Miller is just not bringing it, and it's, it's hurting them. I feel like you are continuing to play Von Miller because you think eventually he's once again going to look like Von Miller, but now that you're in this crucial point of the season, I don't know if you can just bank on that. I know his resume. I know that he is going to be a Hall of Famer. But this season, he has not... I mean, he doesn't have a sack. He's barely on stat sheets. He finished this game with one tackle. Like, that's for a guy who makes the money that he... I realize the injury is significant. I realize he just got a brace off. It will not shock me if they play the Patriots and Von Miller rushes around the edge and gets a sack. But you need him to start doing that. You need him to start looking like the guy he was last year because if he's not, he's hurting your team. Other things that I thought, they missed Micah Hyde today. Getting Daquan Jones would be a massive addition for this team. The fact that he was questionable going into this game I think is a good sign. I don't know if they'll get him back for the Patriots game, but now they have an extra day's rest to try and kind of get their situation healthy. Having Epinesa and Daquan Jones and Micah Hyde and those guys getting back would be really beneficial. Because of the holiday, I don't think we'll get an update from Sean McDermott until probably the 26th or the 27th. I don't think there were any major injuries from this game that stand out, but that being said, I I think they did get out of it pretty healthy. So getting those guys back would be huge for them. I think that they are starting to get healthy at the right time, and I think that that will go a long way. All right, let's answer some of your questions because there's actually a lot of them. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
Um, by the way, I should have probably said this off the top. Sal is flying back through the middle of the night with the team. So he was unavailable. So I figured I wanted to make sure we got something out there. I know a lot of you are going to be doing traveling, you know, traveling for Christmas, Christmas Eve. So I wanted to make sure you guys had something, especially after a win. Let's go to some of the questions. This one's from Chris Collins. Awesome dude. Twitter friend of mine, really good guy. He's out in LA right now. Have you seen a difference in McDermott's approach these last couple weeks? I have, actually. And his example that he used was he kept Cook in the game post-fumble, and he has the defense closing out games. I think that of all of the criticism Sean McDermott faced, certainly some of it was warranted. I'm talking specifically about football. You know, the 9-11 comments were really, really bad. He did address those, but from a strictly football standpoint... I think he is realizing what he needs to be to get the most out of his team. And I think when you have a story like the Tyler Dunn story, I think that's something that you can use to try and make yourself better, right? Like for your entire coaching career in Buffalo, for most of it anyway, you have had success. Now you're seeing what some people are saying about you that isn't favorable. And that will cause you to look in the mirror and go, okay, I need to be better. There are times when I need to trust my offense to go out there and make a play. Like the James Cook example from Chris is perfect because we have seen it other times in the season. James Cook would have been riding pine and they would have had somebody else in there. Even though James Cook did not have a great game, he is still their most dynamic running back and is still the biggest threat in the backfield. You need to trust your players and Sean, I think, is. And I also think this team has rallied around him. And I can tell you that from being at the facility. I can tell you that from post-game press conferences and being in the locker room. This team has rallied around their coach and has his back right now. That's not to say that that will always happen and that that will always be the case. But these guys are playing for him right now, and it is very clear. So I have seen a difference in his approach. I think he's trusting his players more. I think he's making sure that he empowers them to make the big play at the big moment, and I think that that will go a long way. All right, this one is from my guy Jason Fair. How are the Bills going to divide snap counts at running back between Murray, Fournette, and Johnson? I would think, moving forward, Leonard Fournette, and Ty Johnson will be your active running backs, and you could sit Murray. Maybe that's not what they will do, but I think that's what I would do. Because I think in just this one game, Fournette proved that he is a better short yardage running back than Latavius Murray is, and they really like Latavius Murray for his leadership and also for his pass pro prowess. But I didn't notice any significant drop-off from Leonard Fournette. Now, there were very limited snaps here. I think Ty Johnson should get the second-most touches on this team. I think he brings them some juice, and I think that was very obvious in the Cowboys game. So for me, to answer Jason's question, I would go James Cook 1, Ty Johnson 2, Leonard Fournette 3, Latavius Murray 4. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right, let's go to some of these other questions. Is Ed Oliver a top five interior defensive lineman? This one's from Eric. It's a good question. He's in the conversation. I'll tell you that much. I'll also say this. His contract is starting to look like a steal. And when he signed it, there were a lot of people saying that that was an overpay and that the Bills are going to regret that. That's not the case at all. If you were going over the Bills defense defense right now and trying to figure out who are their most valuable players on that side of the ball, I think at the top of the list are Ed Oliver, Leonard Floyd, and then believe it or not, probably Terrell Bernard. But Ed Oliver has been so good this season. He has turned a corner. He has become a consistent producing player. So yeah, is he a top five interior defensive lineman? Probably. And he's still young and it feels like he's still scratching the surface. So I like that. I like that kind of area for him. If he's not in the top five, he's damn close to it. Um, This one's from Elizabeth. Uh, Leonard Floyd seemed invisible. Ed had a great night. What kind of bonuses did he earn? Sorry, I I think I mentioned it earlier. It sounds like it was a $500,000 bonus. Um, This one's from Max. Were you ever actually worried in this game? Also, if that question isn't good enough, I pose a hypothetical. How do you foresee this game going if Shakir did score a touchdown on the final drive? Would the Chargers have been able to move the ball down the field for a touchdown? Yeah, I was worried for this game. I thought that they were going to let it slip away. I mean, they had three turnovers and seven penalties. The fact that they won this game in itself is kind of like a festivist miracle. Felt like they were doing everything possible to let it slip away, and they still got the win, which is why for me, I'm kind of like, listen, you still got to win. I know there are some concerning things, but I don't necessarily know how many of these concerning things are going to continue into the next week. Like, right, if they have three turnovers against the Patriots, that's very concerning. But I don't think they're going to. I do think the thing about the Buffalo Bills that I've said on this podcast before, that I've said on Channel 7 before, their curses, they are exactly as good and exactly as bad as whoever they are playing. It feels like they play up to their opponents and they play down to their opponents, and it felt like they did that tonight. Do I think they could have went down, the Chargers could have went down and tied the game late? Yeah, and the thing that scared me a little bit was if they did go down the field and score a touchdown, would they have went for two? First off, that's assuming that the Bills converted the two-point conversion. If they didn't, a touchdown would have won the game for the Chargers. So I think, yeah, you're counting on Bass to make the kick, but it was a really short kick. I don't even know. What was the actual kick? It was a 29-yard kick. You're counting on Bass to make the kick, but I do think it ended up being in their favor that he was actually ruled down. Um, Let's see some of these other questions. Was not going for two when we were up seven the wrong call? I thought about that all... Well, they were up eight. I think they would have made it up nine. At one point, it was 21 to 13. So I thought if they would go for two there to make it a two-possession game, but I don't think you would do that because you still wanted to make them have a touchdown and a two-point conversion, but then they ended up having three field goals after that, right? That's the scoring drive. So yeah, so they made it 21-13, and then it went 21-16, 21-19, then trailing 22-21. So knowing what we know, if they went for two, they would have been tied at 22, and then they would have been able to give up a field goal at the end. But still, no, I don't, I don't really think that that was a huge, huge thing. All right, this one's from DK. 
Gabe Davis is going to get paid, isn't he? Hopefully not by us. I go back and forth on this all the time. I think that because he has had such an inconsistent season, his number has fallen off drastically. But yeah, I still think somebody is going to see the potential there and they're going to pay him. The Bills really like Gabe Davis. I can tell you that with 100% certainty. But I don't know how much they'll be willing to pay him. I don't think they're going to get into a bidding war with Gabe Davis. But I think if it's close, Gabe will stay. I think Gabe really likes it here. I think he likes playing with Josh Allen. I think he likes being a part of this team and likes being a part of this offense. Let's say he's got offers out there for a million dollars more on a team that's not very good. I don't think he's taking that. I also don't think the Bills are going to give him a super long-term deal. I think if they keep Gabe Davis, he could be on like a two-year, let's say it's like a two-year deal worth $18 million, $9 million a season or something. If they do that, they should still be looking for a wide receiver with a premium asset, whether that's making a trade or drafting somebody in the first round. But you need to start thinking about life after Stefan Diggs. And if you sign Gabe Davis to a shorter term deal, also life after Gabriel Davis with this organization. So as we've seen from Stefan Diggs, it has not been to his caliber of a season. He's still over a thousand yards. If he stays healthy, he's still going to get over a hundred receptions this year, but he just does not have that like takeover a game ability that we are used to seeing. Maybe he has it and the offense just is not using him in the right way, but you need to start thinking about the future. I still think there's a chance Gabe Davis is here next year. I would say if I was putting odds on it, I would go 51% chance he stays, 49% chance he walks. I keep thinking T. Higgins is going to be the big fish this offseason if Cincinnati lets him go. I think the Chiefs are the most likely outcome there, which is scary. But if they miss out on T. Higgins, I keep thinking that Gabe could fit in really well in Kansas City. We know he can play in that stadium. We know he can produce in that stadium. So who knows? Uh, This one's from Randall. Blowout or nail-biter next week? I don't know. They've lost to the Patriots this season. They could lose. They could win by 30. That's the Bills. They're a weird team. Um, Aaron, do you think McDermott's defensive timeouts are a fireable offense? I don't. And I actually think Sean deserves a little bit of credit for the way that he handled the situation at the end of the game. The way they utilized their timeouts, the way they moved the ball down the field, the way they managed the clock, it is clear that they have learned from past mistakes that they have made. That does not mean they're perfect, but the way that they ran the ball and made sure they kept the clock going and they took a timeout. And then at the end of the game with one second left, they took another timeout and they made sure that they had a bunch of defensive backs out on the field. Uh, I think that Sean did a very good job managing the game at the end, which is what we need to see from him. Uh, This one's from Colin. Where can I listen? Colin, you can listen on the Odyssey app. You can listen on Spotify. You can listen on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcast, there's a lot of places you can listen. Uh, Are the Bills, this is from DROP, are the Bills contenders or did we turn into a pumpkin? They're contenders. I I truly believe, even after almost losing to Easton Stick and the Chargers, that this team can beat any team in the NFL. I really do believe that. Now, the good Bills need to show up but the good Bills have showed up this season. They're weird, right? Like, that's what we keep going back to. They can beat anybody. I still think that they're a contender. Uh, how can they overturn that touchdown by Shakir? The replay made it look very, very close. 
I thought because it looked so close, they would let the call on the field stand, but still after watching the replay and pausing it right at the moment of him getting touched, it does look like his knee is a millisecond away from getting off of the ground. All right, I'm just searching through if there's any more questions here. Uh, Why do the Bills play down to their competition? It's a great question. I don't know. Part of it can be coaching. Part of it can just be that they get too comfortable. They get a little bit complacent. Some stupid mistakes. I mean, this game came down to the three turnovers. It's not a close game if they don't have three turnovers. The Chargers had 22 points, and 13 of them came off of turnovers. They didn't turn the ball over themselves. So that's what this game came down to. The Bills tried to let them hang around, and they didn't. All right, everybody. Oh, this one, I'll answer one more. When will Epinesa be back? We talked to AJ, I believe this is a weird week, so it was either Tuesday or Wednesday outside of the Bills locker room, and he said it's a pain tolerance thing. He says that he's still having a hard time with like making his normal motions and not being in some sort of discomfort. I think that there's a chance he plays against the Patriots. I think it's trending in that direction. And I also think that because he and Micah Hyde were on the injury report this week as participants at practice, that's a good sign for them to get closer to coming back. So I I really do think that there's a chance Epinesa and Hyde play against the Patriots. I think that there's a chance Daquan Jones plays, but I'm very confident that he'll be back for the Dolphins game. And then if they win or if they, you know, get into the playoffs, then I think he'll be back for the playoffs. All right, so the Bills win 24 to 22 the final. They improve to 9 and 6 on the season as of right now at almost 1 a.m. on Christmas Eve morning. They are in the 6th spot. They will remain in a playoff spot if they get a little help from around the league. Reminder of teams who you should be rooting for on Christmas Eve. You should be rooting for the Falcons to beat the Colts. You should be rooting for the Cowboys to beat the Dolphins. You should be rooting for the the Browns and Texans is a tough one because it can kind of go either way. If the Texans win, it conceivably opens up another spot for the Browns if they lose another game. But at the same time, if the Browns win, it gives Houston another loss and gets them to eight and seven. So it would be another team that would potentially, you know, you know, take another ding. So that one kind of goes either way. Uh, what other things? You want the 49ers to beat the Ravens. You want the Seahawks to beat the Titans. I mean, those don't really matter. Oh, you want the Patriots to beat the Broncos. That would be another big one for the Bills. If the Broncos could get to 7-8 and eight, as opposed to 7-7, seven and seven, just because the Broncos have the tiebreaker with the Bills. So if they get to eight losses and the Bills end up finishing at 10-7, and seven, if they split their last two games, they would still be ahead of the Broncos. So that would be another big one. So yeah, I would say your biggest teams that you're rooting for on Christmas Eve are the Falcons are the Cowboys, are the Patriots, and then you can kind of pick your poison against the Browns and the Texans. All right, that will do it for this emergency podcast episode of It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for you know subscribing to the podcast, downloading it, and to you and to your families, a very happy holiday season. I know that the holidays can be hard for people who have gone through you know whatever they've gone through. I can experience that firsthand. Unfortunately, this season, this is going to be a very different Christmas for our family. 
and there's a lot of mixed emotions. And I know for a lot of people, the holidays are the best time of year, but I also know for some people, the holidays are a really tough time. So if it's a tough time for you, I hope that you can be surrounded by people you love family, friends that can lift you up. And if it's a happy time for you, soak up all of those moments because they mean so, so much. And you never know when life is going to change. So that's my little message to you guys. Thank you again for listening, for subscribing to the podcast. Have a very Merry Christmas, a happy holiday season, and we'll see you guys soon.